Um, but this morning we've been in this series uh, where we're kind of running through uh, and talking about what it means, uh, what this big assignment means, what we've been invited to do. And ultimately, it's that we get to tell others about who Jesus is and what he is about um, and what God has given us. Because one of the things that's really interesting when you look through the scriptures is the promise is not one that life will be easy or your life will be better or necessarily even that it's going to be something that God is even concerned with. When he calls, when Jesus calls his first disciples, that first group of people, he doesn't call them and say, hey, I'm going to make sure that you are crushing it every day, that you get up and you rise and grind and you're going to make something happen and you're going to be really somebody. That is not at all what he says. He doesn't say we're going to make you better people. He doesn't say we're going to make you better men. We're going to make you better husbands, uh, fathers. He doesn't say any of that. Instead, what he promises them is that he's going to make them fishers of men, which is a weird thing to say. Um, and so, but it's this promise that you are going to get to be a part of telling others about this message, um, which is just kind of something that is uh, not necessarily why we would sign up. And I don't know about you um, and what caused you to say yes to Jesus, what caused you to take that step. And some of you are like, I haven't. I'm just here because somebody invited me. And that's great. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're a part of our, uh, get, kind of checking things out and getting to be a part of our community this morning. But that challenge for most of us is we said yes to Jesus because of what's in it for me. I remember hearing about the gospel and hearing this call to the gospel and wanting to get baptized, wanting to say yes to Jesus, not because I was so excited to tell others about Jesus, not because that I wanted to one day get the chance to preach in Wichita, Kansas, but because I was so afraid of what would happen to me if I didn't. I was trying to avoid punishment, and so I made the decision. The challenge is that's not the only thing that goes into faith, and faith, our faith should grow and move past that uh, long ago. That's really a child's way of approaching things. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Um, instead of what do I get to do in that? What does that opportunity look like for my life? And so when we begin to shift how we think about it, it changes things because ultimately the story of what it means to be a Christian can feel really complicated. Um, it can feel like it's a big thing. Uh, when you look around at the world, there's all kinds of fights and debates, all kinds of things that you need to know the answers to. Uh, how old is the earth? Issues of uh, creation and evolution. If you grew up in a more conservative environment, uh, that was a huge deal for you. Um, there's all kinds of places um, that people try to wrestle with. And ultimately, though, Chad talked about last week that the message is pretty simple. Uh, that it's pretty basic. And if you're here and you're an introvert, uh, Chad made you repeat something last week and you thought, oh, that's so uncomfortable. I'm so glad I don't have to do that again. I'm sorry, we're going to do it again because it's just really important to commit that to memory. We walked through uh, John 3.16 and John 3.17 and we said this, um, it's going to be on the slides here, um, that God, do you remember what God, God loved? There we go. God loved and so therefore God gave. Uh, God, uh, that we believe and therefore we receive. Um, so it's this beautiful story that God doesn't come after us because we're in trouble and he wants to fix it. God doesn't come after us because you've really messed up and he is, he's angry at you and so punishment is coming. 
Uh, God comes after us because he loves us. And it's such a beautiful thing that you're chased after from the beginning. It's so fundamental to how we understand what it means to be a Christian that when we miss this part, we end up believing that Christianity is about being good. You know, the churches that I grew up in, it was the most important thing about being a Christian is you don't drink, smoke, or chew or go with girls that do. Those are the four things. If you just knew those four things, you were good. Outside of that, it was all, it was all up in the air. But that's not what Scripture presents to us, and it's not what it means to follow Jesus. And even more profoundly, it's not what it means in the early church. Uh, when you look at the disciples, this isn't what they do. Instead, what we recognize is that Christianity is not something that you would just intuit. If you were just sitting under a tree, meditating, you may come to the conclusion that there's a God. You may come to the conclusion that the world is good. Um, you may come to the conclusion, uh, but you're never going to come to that conclusion that Jesus came and died in your place. Uh, you're never going to understand that you are part of God's family, not just forgiven, which is an extraordinary thing on its own, but actually a part of God's family. What a profoundly moving thing that that is. And the only way you're going to know that, because it's rooted in history, is if somebody tells you. Because the only way we know what happens in history is if somebody tells us, which is one of the reasons that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of geriatric millennials just desperately waiting for the Super Bowl to happen so they can talk about the East Coast-West Coast rivalry in hip-hop that we committed a lot of time to back in the day. Uh, I don't know about you, but that is part of what I'm excited about. When I saw Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Mary J. Blige on the lineup, I am excited to tell my kids about this. You just throw a little Tupac in there, and I would really be off to the races. I could pontificate about all that meant to me as a kid. And my kids will not care, because that's what most of us are when it comes to history. Um, is, it, is somebody may tell us, but we don't necessarily know what it means for us. So this morning, we are going to look at something. Um, if you've got your Bibles or a Bible app, you can open up. We're actually going to be in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 7. So 2 Kings is an Old Testament book, so it's kind of in the latter half of the, of the front half of your Bible. Um, we're going to be in 2 Kings, uh, starting in chapter 7 is where we're going to be this morning. So you can jump in there, uh, and that's where we're going to pick up. But I want to give you some context for the story that we're jumping into here, um, because it's a, it's a pretty long series of passages that kind of all fit together that unfold this story, and we're only going to look at chapter 7. Um, so what's happened is the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God's people, has split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Um, and it's just as a rule of thumb, you can, re you can remember that the northern kingdom was, wasn't very good. Uh, it was kind of, kind of had some problems. They began to adopt practices of people around them. They began to do some things that weren't, that God had not, that asked them specifically not to do. And the leaders of that, of that northern kingdom were just relatively bad kings. They were selfish. They uh, turned their back on God. They just, they did things that made the northern kingdom pretty weak. And God was pretty frustrated with the situation. So he sent his prophet to come in and talk to the king of the northern kingdom at the time, uh, Jehoram. And he comes into Jehoram's office, uh, Elijah does, and he presents to him, he says, hey, God is going to send judgment. Your neighbors are coming, and they are going to attack you and lay siege to your city. And the king said, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen. We're fine. 
which is the thing a lot of leaders do. We get information we don't like, we just ignore it. We're like, well, that's, that's probably not true. We'll just skip over that. We'll be fine. Um, but sure enough, the Arameans show up and surround the city. And in the ancient world, every city, every city had walls. If you didn't have walls, you weren't a city. You were something else because you had to be able to get inside those walls to stay safe. And the truth is there wasn't a lot you could do if they were good walls, big, thick, built walls. It was really hard to get into that city. And so what they would do is they would just surround the city, and that's it. That's, that was this whole strategy. We were going to surround the city. Nobody can get in or get out. Um, the challenge is how long can you stay put? And so this goes on for months. And the people in the city begin to starve. Um, they begin to not have food to eat. Um, things go bad. And you know how bad things get when you look around and all of a sudden donkey heads are selling at a premium. Everybody's like, you know, I need that. They just got a barbecue coming up. We're going to get that donkey head. It's going to be perfect. Um, and so that's kind of where the world is for them. To the point where like, they are actually selling in the markets. One of the things the scripture tells us is they're selling dove dung. Not the doves themselves, the dung in order for people to consume it. There's stories of cannibalism that take place in the city. People are getting desperate. But we're not in the city. We're actually with a small group of people. There's four people outside the city. And that's who our story is going to be about this morning. These four people, they are what are called lepers. Um, and they have leprosy. So leprosy is a real specific skin condition. But in the ancient world... Almost anybody that had a chronic, contagious skin disease was referred to as a leper. And they were put into leper colonies because this disease was so contagious. And it would move so quickly uh, through a group of people that you had to separate them out. And so they would move you out. And what your family would do is they would bring you food. So you would live outside the city. You'd kind of live out on the edge of town. And they would bring you food. They would bring you clothing, family, friends, people who maybe just felt really sorry for you would try to help take care of you, but you were kind of just stuck. There wasn't a lot you can do. And so if you can imagine how bad life is inside that city, if you can imagine, you know, if you're, if you're a craving donkey head, there's nothing you can do in, but look for those people outside. Uh, look at those people outside. They are, they are in a bad way. They are not going to be fed. They're not going to be taken care of. They're stuck between, literally, between a rock, the walls of the city, and a hard place, this army of enemies. And so what they do is they look around and they say to themselves, uh, they say, why stay here to die? This is starting in chapter, or, or chapter 7, verse 3. Why stay here until we die? If we say we will go into the city, famine is there and we're going to die. If we stay here, we will die. If we go over to the camps of the Arameans uh, and surrender, they will, uh, they will spare us and we will live. If they kill us, we will die. Basically what they're saying is we got three options. We can stay put and die. We can go into the city and we know we're going to die. We can go surrender and maybe, maybe we're not going to die. Maybe they will have pity on us. They will let us surrender. They will give us food and things will be okay. And they're so desperate that that seems like the best option. To an enemy that has laid waste to your city, that has seized your city, they say, hey, this is the best option. So that's what they do. They go over to the camp of the Arameans. And it says, at dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. And so right at the beginning of nightfall, things are getting hard to see. Uh, when they reach the edge of the camp, 
No one was there. For God has caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents, their horses and donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. So they sneak up to the edge of the camp and it's just quiet. I mean, you guys know what it's like when you walk into a room of people and you could feel that there are people there. Like you can, you could just tell that there's somebody else there, but there's nobody here. They have fled because this is something that would happen. It's when you lay siege to somebody, when you set up your defenses in a way, somebody could come up behind you and then you are in a bad way. And so they were exposed and chose to run off. And so these four leopards come in and they begin to look around and see what is here and see what is available. And sure enough, there's nobody here. And so they go up into the first tent, it says, and they enter the tent and they look around and there's jewels, there's, ca- there's cash, there's coins, uh, there's money there, uh, there's clothing, which for us, clothing is like, ah, it's no big deal. But you got to remember in the ancient world, you didn't have mills and machines and looms and all the things we have. This was all a very handmade, automated process. And so fine clothes were exceedingly expensive in the ancient world. And so it's very valuable. So they take all this valuable stuff and they go and actually bury it. They actually hide it out there and they begin to eat and to drink and to celebrate. It says, uh, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents and ate and drank. They took silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. And then they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and also hid it. It's one of those things where like, they are in a video game where you have to decide, like, hey, uh, I'm going to take just as much loot as I can. I've, I've killed all my enemies. I'm going to take this, but I'm only going to take the valuable stuff because that other stuff just isn't quite worth enough for me to risk having to carry it. They are in that position. They are eating and celebrating. You can't, I can't, it's hard to even imagine what it's like to have been hungry for that long and to get to celebrate and to get to enjoy. And so they are diving in, and it is a genuine party. And they're so excited and they're enjoying themselves. And there hits this moment. I don't know if the alcohol began to wear off a little bit, if they were getting to sober up a little bit. It's kind of early in the morning. Um, But they look at each other and they say, and then they said to each other, starting in chapter, uh, verse 9, what we are doing is not right. And there's a part of us that some of you may have even felt that before I read it. But yeah, that's, there are people in there dying. There are people in there who are eating dove dung. There are people in there who are committing cannibalism. Those are our friends and our families. Those are people who have supported us and cared for us. We have got to go tell them. We've got to go share what has happened. We've got to include them in how this is. Even if they left us out here to die, even if they left us to starve, what we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go and once, uh, at once and report this to the royal palace. And so that's what they do. They felt bad. They begin to see that they have good news that needs to be shared. And so they go back and they go up to the gate to tell them, hey, the situation has changed. 
So they went to the gate and they called out to the city gatekeepers. Because um, you've got to remember, it's early in the morning. They probably couldn't even see these guys outside in the dark um, from the walls there at the city. Um, and we told them, uh, we went into the Aramean's camp and no one was there. Not a, uh, not a sound of anyone. Only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents were just left. And the gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported to the palace. To kind of use the bucket brigade to move information from the gates into the palace, letting the king know what's happening. Um, and so the king got up in the night and he said to his officers, I tell you that the, the Arme, or what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we're starving. So they have left camp to hide in the countryside, thinking surely they will come out uh, and we can, uh, we can take them alive and get into the city. So the king feels like this is a plot. This is too good to be true. They had us surrounded. Why did they leave? That doesn't make any sense. This is a trick. This is a ploy to get us to come out of the city. And so one of his officers comes over and says, uh, uh, have some uh, men take five of the horses that are left in the city. Those five poor animals that are probably starving and thin, didn't get eaten yet. They're going to take those five horses and they're going to go out from the city. Um, and he, he's the, the, the officer said this, he said, their plight will be like that of all of Israel left here. Yes, they will only be like all the rest of the Israelites who are doomed. So let's send them out to find out what had happened. So he's saying, hey, listen, let's take some of these men, let's give them horses, and let's send them out. Listen, they might die. Look, you, King, you might be right, this might be a plot, but if they stay here, they're also going to die. So what do we lose? Like, let's just let these guys, can you imagine being one of those five guys standing there being like, well, I guess I'm going to go die now um, rather than later. But sure enough, these guys get on, they take off from the city. So they're given chariots, actually, it says. Uh, so they selected two chariots with their horses and the king sent them after the Aramean army. When the, uh, he commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. So they followed the road out as far as the Jordan River um, this is from the city Samaria. So they went quite a ways. And they found, uh, they found the whole road was strewn with clothes and equipment from the Arameans that they'd thrown down in their headlong flight. Uh, so the messengers returned and reported to the king. And the people went out and plundered the Aramean camps. And this part is important. It says, so the, the assaya of flour, which is about 12 pounds of flour, uh, sold for a shekel. And two sailors of barley sold uh, for a shekel, just as the Lord had said. So prophet Elijah, when he came in and told the king that the enemies were coming, eventually said that there will come a day when all of a sudden things become cheap again, things become affordable again, uh, they, that this will not last forever. And sure enough, it came true the next day. And so the parallels here are pretty obvious for us. You can feel that. That there is this good news that they've been received. This good news of hope, of restoration, of new life, of a better life um, that they get to jump into. And for some of us, this really does resonate. That we began to look around our lives, um, especially if you came to faith later in life. Um, if you were somebody who lived a lot of life as an adult prior to saying yes to Jesus, you can know what that feels like where you're desperately looking for something, where you're hoping that there's more to life than this, um, that you're looking for purpose, you're looking for the sense of identity of who am I and where do I fit in the world. And that profound relief when you say yes to Jesus 
and you realize that you are meant for something so much more than just getting what you can. Um, but instead, you're called to serve and to love um, others. And you can feel this shift happen. And it's so profound that how could we not share? How could we hold on to that information and not tell others? Um, when you have that opportunity, um, it, when the, you really begin to understand that God has moved, not just from this, this person in the sky who may or may not be mad at me. I'm not sure what it means uh, to follow him. I'm not sure that I live up to the expectations. But instead, you really get to have this moment where you jump in and say yes, and you found so much more than you could imagine. Um, that is the invitation for others. Um, and without us telling them, they would never know. Uh, they would never know. And one of the things that I think has been tragic in the church is as we've undergone these shifts in life, as we begin to change and begin to become who God called us to be, some of us grew up in churches where the first thing we need to do is make sure we don't hang out with any of those people. Whoever those people are, the bad people, the people that cause trouble, uh, the people that are just on the outside. We need to get, uh, get those people out of your life. And for some of you all, you've been in relationships where that, there's some truth in that, that there are people who are toxic, who encourage toxic traits in you. Sometimes without even intending to, other people can bring things out in you. Um, I, am, I am originally from Kentucky, um, it is, and so I really want to bring up uh, Kentucky and KU and just let you guys know, but I don't want to make KU fans feel bad, so I'm just going to let it. It's going to let it lie here. I'm not going to bring it up at all. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I'm originally from Kentucky. But when I talk to my friends from Kentucky or I go visit, all of a sudden I'm yawling all over the place. All of a sudden I begin to slow down, begin to, my accent begins to come back out pretty quickly. And I don't even mean for it to. It just happens uh, when I'm there, uh, when I'm spending time with people. Um, and so maybe you're in a relationship that you don't need to be in, that it's not healthy for you, it's not healthy for others. But for a lot of us, what we get to do in that moment is to be a person who tells a better story in a place where that story may not be heard. Matthew is one of Jesus's early followers, and he was a tax collector. And we all, nobody likes paying taxes. Nobody likes, yes, finally, I get my W-2s in the mail. I get to, I get to go and uh, commit, I get to go fill out tax paperwork. It's going to be great. I can't wait. But in the ancient world, taxes were even more fraught because it was imposed by a government that wasn't your own. So, you know, this is the Roman government taxing uh, the kingdom, uh, the vassal state within the Roman uh, empire that is Israel. So people would come in and they would actually be uh, folks who were Jewish uh, and they would be folks who maybe even had a little bit of an aristocratic background who decided like, hey, listen, I know y'all are my people, but if I jump in with them and collect taxes, I can line my own pocket. So forget you guys, I'm going to take care of me. And so this tax collector isn't just somebody who's, a tax collector, but there's somebody who've actually turned their back on the people of God, who, who are extorting God's people, extorting the people of Israel for the Roman government. And so when Matthew meets Jesus, and he is invited to follow, invited into this relationship, it is scandalous. Because this isn't just somebody who's got a little bit of a rocky background. This is somebody who is the wrong kind of people. And Matthew says yes to Jesus and begins to follow. And he throws this huge party. 
And what he doesn't do is he doesn't go and invite all the religious folks, all the religious leaders, and say, hey, come see, I've turned over a new leaf. I'm a new person now. Instead, he goes out and invites his friends, tax collectors, other tax collectors, sinners, people who are outside of the group of acceptable good people, and people who were, for whatever reason, those people. And that's who Matthew invites to this party. And that's what we get to do, um, that we get to go and to share this good news, just like the four lepers who have this gift that we are allowed to share. And they're looking around, and it's so easy to say, this is for me. This is my information. I'm going to hang on to this. Um, In part because we live in a culture in which faith is treated as though it's something that's private, that it's just between you and God and not between you and anybody else, even though that historically makes no sense uh, for anybody of any faith, that our faith partially tells us how we fit both between us and God, but also how we fit in the world around us and how we interact with people, how we love for people, how we care for people, how what people are even like, you know, our assumptions about who people are, uh, are birthed all out of that. Um, and so faith isn't just meant for us to say yes to Jesus, and we can become part of the good people, and we can get in our car, and we can turn on KISS FM, and we can finally just be, we can be all right. Uh, faith is meant for those of us who know where our own failings are and our own brokennesses, and get to invite other people into who God's made them to be, regardless of that. Because for those four lepers, with a great discovery comes that great responsibility to share with others. If they would have held on to it for themselves, if they would have gone and just continued to collect money for themselves, they maybe could have carved out a pretty good life for themselves. But what they would have missed out on is the joy and community that comes when you share good news with everybody. What we are doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to begin to ask, who can I share this good news with? What does this look like uh, for me? And it's not always easy to know how to talk about our faith, especially because we live in a world in which you have people who have created so many obstacles for faith that we want to wrestle with all of these big questions. What do we do with? What about this? Um, How do we handle that? And those things matter. And I don't want to pretend like there's not uh, challenges with faith. But at the end of the day, it really is about saying yes to Jesus and being a part of what God is doing in the world. Um, It is this gift uh, that comes. And so maybe it's somebody that you need to reach out to and say, hey, like, I need to grab lunch with them. They've been on my radar, somebody I need to grab lunch with. Um, And you're looking at your week, you have a lunch appointment that cancels, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm going to go grab a friend, and I'm going to grab lunch with them. And that's great, but maybe there's somebody that you need to get to share something with. Maybe there's a book or a podcast that's been really influential for you um, that you need to share with somebody else. Um, Maybe there's something that would begin to point them toward faith. Maybe it's just an invitation to come with you to church, to come and sit with you. Maybe there's somebody who that is where they're at. Um, Because it's easy for us uh, who've come to church for a while to feel comfortable, but going to a new place as an adult is so awkward. 
It's so uncomfortable to not know how to get into the building, to not know where to go, uh, to not know how to do things. Some of you are like, what do you mean it's awkward? You know, you're the extroverts in the room, and you're awesome. But for the rest of us, walking into somewhere we don't know and doing something we don't know how to do feels uncomfortable. And so maybe it's just the simple invitation of, hey, come and sit with me, um, and beginning to invite people into this. Uh, because keeping this good news to ourselves is not what God has called us to do. Instead, we've got, been given the responsibility, the gift, to be the one who shares that good news with others. That we were starving and desperate, and there is hope because of who Jesus is. Um, it is remarkable. Um, if you haven't, uh, Chad also asked us, I don't just want to circle back to this one because this was important for me. Um, he asked us to begin to share and or maybe even to write a letter to the person who initially introduced us to faith. Um, that somebody in your life told you about uh, Christianity, told you about who Jesus is. It could have been a family member. It could have been somebody else. Um, it could have been somebody in school for you uh, that was a pivotal relationship. Um, but you can begin to trace your own legacy of faith backwards. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Doug Fraley, who's actually the pastor out at, um, south of uh, Wichita here a little bit. Um, he was years ago the youth minister at a church in Kentucky when this awkward uh, 15-year-old boy started coming to church um, apart from his family. And that awkward 15-year-old boy was my dad um, and came to church uh, there with a gentleman named Wayne Smith and first met Wayne um, and got introduced to what, who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about. Um, and um, uh, Dad was ultimately baptized in that church by Doug Fraley. And I've gotten to talk to both Doug and Wayne uh, repeatedly in my life. Wayne has since passed. Uh, Doug is still around. We actually went to grab steak at Apple or Outback not too long ago uh, just to connect. Um, because if it wasn't for him, back in the 70s, I wouldn't be here today. And I wouldn't have the life that I have. I wouldn't have the faith that I have. I wouldn't have these, uh, the things that I have in my life wouldn't exist without Doug. Um, and it's because he took the time to tell somebody. And so I would just encourage you, if you know that person in your own life, send them a note, send them a message. Just say, hey, this meant a lot to me. And begin to think about who you could be that for, um, because this story is worth sharing. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and as the band comes back up, uh, we're going to jump in uh, here. God, I just thank you so much that you have given us the gift of good news. Uh, that you came after us, even when we were still enemies of you. Uh, that you came after us, even as we were on the outside. Um, that God, even when some of us did not know who you are, your son still came and died the death we should have lived, or we should have, to give us life everlasting. God, it is a profound, profound miracle that you've chased after us. God, when we have misheard and misunderstood and miscommunicated the gospel, that it's about right behavior instead of right allegiance, that it's about being a good person instead of recognizing the goodness that is Jesus Christ. God, when we have reduced the gospel to those pithy sayings that sound memorable but ultimately separate us from who you are, would you help us to reconcile that with the true message that there is hope and life inside of who Jesus is? The guy that we don't have to have all the answers to say yes to faith. 
God, we love you so much. Um, We thank you for those who told us about the good news and pray for the boldness to tell others. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.